0: Countrymen, that a special child will soon be born. A child that will come to rescue and to save and establish his kingdom. And that child, of course, that you may already know is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. But verse 6, which we'll focus on today, tells us that he also has the name of Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, Isaiah's prophecy in his passage we find today in the ninth chapter, verses six and seven truly tells us, or tells us actually, to the people he was speaking to, of a coming Savior that was born on the day that we celebrate as Christmas. And it's likely that you've probably heard these verses before, and you probably know them well, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. However, I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, really, there's no harm in repeating verses that are familiar to us, especially if it does what we intend for it to do today, to help us get the mood established, the reason that we have the season, the reason we get excited about this time of the year, the fact that we have a Savior to be born for us, His name Jesus Christ. So if we're having trouble getting in the mood, then maybe today this particular message will help us establish the mood. Now, one more thing it does is we'll have a self-examination or self-evaluation during the four different names we discussed today. And we'll get a chance to actually self-examine ourselves or to evaluate ourselves to find out where we are in a scale of actually relying on Jesus to be our guide, our mentor, our everlasting father, our prince of peace, our wonderful counselor, and the mighty God. This is the first of four messages we'll have pertaining to Christmas. We'll culminate all the messages, of course, on Christmas, which this year happens to be on a Sunday. Aren't you excited about that? A couple years ago, I had Christmas to come on a Sunday. As a church in Evansville, and they asked, are you going to have service on Sunday, uh, December 25th? And I said, yeah. I mean, wouldn't we? So we will have service if you're asking, if you're wondering about the 25th. But we'll be here, and we'll have a service that particular morning. All right. So let's stand together this morning and read Isaiah chapter 9. Again, it's really brief. It's really short. It's only two verses. It's verses 6 and 7 in the prophet Isaiah, verses I'm sure you probably heard before. I think we even had them in our time together. Verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we come before you today, Lord, just thanking you again for the time we can spend together. Lord, let us never take that time for granted. We thank you, Lord, also for a text we can look at today, Lord, perhaps one that we are very familiar with, and be able to see how these wonderful names we find of our Lord and Savior how we can take those names, Lord, and begin to now dissect them a little bit and even evaluate ourselves of how we're receptive to that. Lord, I know all of this, will, of course, make sense as we go, but I pray that you'll let these words today be the words you want us to hear and the words you want me to say, Lord, rather than what I want to say and want people to hear. We welcome the Spirit now, Lord, to lead and guide and direct us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you are any way familiar with Indiana basketball, and I don't mean the team, the Hoosiers, necessarily, but if you are any way connected over the years to Indiana basketball, then the name Damon Bailey may be familiar with you. I mean, legend has it that Coach Bobby Knight, when he was with the Indiana Hoosiers, started looking at this young phenom, Damon Bailey, when he was only an eighth grader. In eighth grade, he was playing for the Bedford North Lawrence Junior High basketball team, but he only kept getting better and better, which kept bringing the attention for Coach Knight to Damon Bailey. Now, of course, he went on to high school, where he became an Indiana high school standout. His accolades are this, a 1990 Indiana Mr. Basketball, a McDonald's All-American, Naismith National High School Player of the Year. Remarkably, USA Today, National Player of the Decade, and there's many more of the things that Damon Bailey accomplished just while he was in high school. And before he graduated from high school in his senior year, he became the all-time leading scorer in Indiana high school basketball history, which I think was only recently broken by Jackie Young, which is remarkable. As Coach Knight continued to monitor Bailey's incredible basketball skills and prowess, Bailey committed then to coach, I mean, to actually coach Knight, to play for Indiana and for the Hoosiers. Now, when he did that, if you're an Indiana basketball fan, then you know you had a great anticipation. You had some great excitement because now every Indiana Hoosier basketball fan just counted on the fact, they just believed. They were Bailey going to the team. They were going to win their next NCAA Men's National Tournament Championship. They got five banners hanging in Assembly Hall. They knew another one was going to come with Bailey part of the team. So suffice it to say then, this young man, this great phenom, he'd been watching since eighth grade, he had tremendous and very high expectations placed upon him. However, the greatness expected of Bailey really didn't materialize or kind of prove itself. Some say that he was simply under too much pressure. Others say that he kind of peaked too early in his career. Yet others would say it was the coach of Bob Knight. It was his fault because he was too demanding on this youngster. But ultimately, as it played out, Bailey finished his career in Indiana without a national championship. And Indiana fans were left with great disappointment and just crushed dreams. So I was thinking about this week and thought of this question. Was Damon Bailey the can't-miss prospect that so many felt that he was? No. In fact, it's fair to say that his post-high school career in basketball was pretty disappointing. It didn't live up to the expectations of absolute greatness that everybody thought that it would be. Because so many things can go wrong along the way. You have all these great expectations placed upon this young man, and a lot of things can go wrong when you have such expectations placed upon you. Now similarly, relate that back now to the text, the predictions that you find here of Jesus, verses 6 and 7, had tremendous, incredibly high expectations placed upon him even before he was born. However, unlike Damon Bailey, or any man or woman ever lived that had expectations placed upon them, Jesus did not fail to deliver. He met every expectation that was prophesied about him. Look again at the text. We go back to verses 6 and 7 to read just one more time to see the things predicted and prophesied about him and the expectations placed upon him. I mean, a child is born. To us a son is given, yes. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Expectations Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. I mean there's just a lot of expectation being placed upon a, a son, a special son, a child to be born way before he ever came. All these expectations placed upon him. And you can see that as we go back to the text and begin to dissect it, then for understanding application, which verse six will be our focus verse, it lists a lot of names and those expectations regarding that verse six. Matthew Rogers says this: in all the scripture, there is no prophecy more thrilling than that found in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. He said, in the midst of some awful prophecies about Judah and the faith of Jerusalem we find this jewel of hope. And indeed, the prophecy by Isaiah was filled with hope for the people. When Isaiah spoke these words, the nation and the people of Israel were entering a very dark period in their history. The favored king, Uzziah, had died. And as Uzziah had died, the king replaced him was named Ahaz. And Ahaz is at best, the best word to describe Ahaz, is an idolater. It can get much worse. But, I mean, he, he always sought to please foreign pagan gods and Baal worshipers. Even further, Ahaz, as king, did not depend on the Lord as his predecessor, Uzziah, did. But rather, he depended upon the Assyrian army for protection from Israel's enemies. And this, in time, would not bid well for Ahaz or the people of the uh, nation of Israel for the nation would eventually fall to the Assyrians, to the hands of the Assyrians under control in 722 B.C. So with Ahaz upon the throne and his dependency on the Assyrians rather than God, the situation then for the Israelites become bleak, dark, kind of depressing, and a glimmer of hope is desperately needed. And then Isaiah comes along as a prophet and foretells about a young son, a young future ruler, a young future son that has tremendous and high expectations placed upon him. And Jesus lives up to each and every expectation. In fact, his central theme emerges with that fact, with that thought. These unusual titles we find for Jesus in verse 6 offers this particular theme, that we can count on Jesus. We can count him certainly to live up to his expectations. He exceeds every expectation we can ever imagine about our Lord and Savior. He does not disappoint. He always delivers. As we go back to verse 6, we can focus on the expectations. There's four names given to this future son. Notice in verse 6, a child is born, a son is given, his name shall be what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That is verse 6, our key verse. We're going to dissect that verse to find that he has those names, those expectations placed upon him, and it delivers in each and every one of them. And the first was Wonderful Counselor. Notice that secularly, Wonderful means inspiring delight, pleasure, admiration, extremely good, or marvelous. The wonderful in the name of Jesus refers to the acts of God being incomprehensible, marvelous, marvelous, or miraculous. Counselor, in the sense then, because of wonderful counselor, counselor secularly, of course, means a person trained to give guidance on personal, social, or psychological problems. But Jesus, as our counselor, carries with it the idea of one who determines upon a plan of action and then carries it out. For example, in Exodus 18, when Jephthah, who happens to be the the father-in-law for Moses, counsels him on how to delegate responsibility. Or in 2 Kings 18, when Hezekiah claimed to have counsel or strategy and strength for war. Similarly and basically, Isaiah is saying here that Judah only hoped The only hope for Judah is this wonderful counselor whose plans, whose purpose, whose designs and decrees for his people will be marvelous and miraculous. In short, he's saying we can count on the people then and we today can count on Jesus being our top advisor, our counselor, wonderful counselor, our top advisor. None of us know the president of the United States, formerly. We know of the president of the United States. But each and every president there's ever been has always had an administration that helps him make decisions. He actually has a cabinet, a staff, that helps him make certain decisions. After the meeting he sometimes has his cabinet, his advisor, he will have one person that he typically counts on the most to facilitate and help him make a good decision. In some cases, that might be his chief of staff, who is well-versed in all the different issues and assists then the president or counsels him in making the right decision. That happens to the president, but it happens to all of us in life. We all need a counselor at one time or another for various reasons. And sometimes the counsel we receive is simply from family and friends. But there is one counselor that we should always go to, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus has the credentials to be our advisor, to be our top advisor, because he completely is trustworthy and wise. It provides two things then that we should look for in the great counselor. Number one, he is understanding. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He's understanding. I mean, Jesus, yes, he was fully God, but also fully man. So he understands how we as humans, how we as people can fall different times to different temptations and how we may need counsel. Yeah, he was perfect in every way, but he is understanding. But also he's perfect counselor And that he is someone who really cares. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And he may care for us more than we possibly could know. In fact, when you start thinking about everything that Jesus does for us, there's no more caring demonstrated than the fact that he died on the cross for every one of us. He truly cares for each and every one of us. So what that means is we have a top advisor." available for us in all of our decision-making. So when we face any and every decision, this prophecy then tells us that Jesus is there to always advise us, to always give us direction. Like, if I'm struggling, as I shared with you before about whether I should go visit my dying father, as I live in Mississippi, and he's living in Indiana, I can receive the top advisor, his counsel, to help me make a wise decision to go. Or or maybe I'm struggling about when should I retire. It's hard to imagine that we would struggle with when to retire because, dude, I'm ready to retire right now. But if we're struggling with that decision about when we should retire, maybe we should consider a counselor to help us make the right decision. Maybe we also need to help with our decision about how we should discipline our child. Your children always do everything wrong, right? And they need to learn. We need to discipline them. I notice in school, schools are now full of discipline problems. I see it every day. You would not believe some of the stories I can tell you with children. If you're a teacher or a counselor of any kind in any kind of school, public school system, you see it. You know it. And the reason we have some of those, in my opinion at least, is because we spared the rod. And we need to discipline our children to help them grow. So sometimes as children begin to act up like they do, we might need their counselor to help us decide which way would be the right way to, account, to, to, to correct our children, to discipline them. I mean, it's a simple things. Sometimes we even go to, we don't think about going to the Lord for advice. And things like maybe this. Should I remodel my house or purchase a new one? Years ago when Ken and Dom was thinking about living in Petersburg, they were living in Somerville. They were going to sell the house and move somewhere. I mean, they wanted a place they could move in, which would be kind of nice to be able to go back and forth to the city and maybe also to work. Well, they thought about moving to Boonville. They were going to live in Boonville. They actually had a house picked out to live in Boonville, but then something began to stir within them to think that maybe this wasn't quite the right place. They began to think about it and pray about it more. They did away with the house in Boonville, actually located in Petersburg. Now it's better for them because, I mean, Don goes to Vincent, Ken goes towards Evansville. It was more centrally located according to what they would need. But if they had left, leaked into the decision, it would have been more difficult based upon where their employment is now to Boonville. So it doesn't seem like we should maybe go to the Lord in these particular situations, but yes, he's always available to counsel us, to advise on certain situations in life. Because Jesus is our top advisor. And he can see every possible outcome and knows which choice is best. Not part of the time, but every time. He knows which choice is best for all of us. But the question is, how well do we source our advisor? This is where the self-evaluation comes in. So in your bulletin or behind me, you can see the self-evaluation coming up on the screen. And you can look at the, the evaluation scoring and find out if it's not at all, or seldom, it's going to be in the lower part of the scale. If you go to Jesus all the time, it's going to be closer to 9 or 10. So think about it, and just think about where you are in the scale. Do you listen to and follow the counsel and advice of Jesus Christ as you make your daily decisions in the very of your life? If so, give yourself a high score. If not, put it there appropriately where you actually allow Jesus to guide you, be the Holy Spirit on your decision-making. The second title we find for Jesus is mighty God. This is an expectation of power. The word mighty was commonly associated with warfare. and has to do with the strength and vitality of a successful warrior. But we can expect Jesus to be our mighty warrior. We can expect that. But unfortunately, people that have a limited exposure to Jesus view him simply as meek and mild. Someone who's kind and gentle. Someone who turns the other cheek. Someone who presumably was helpless when the soldier was beating him. And ultimately made him carry his cross to his death. Indeed, Jesus was kind and gentle. I mean, he did turn the other cheek and taught us to do the same. Yes, he did carry his own cross. But the larger picture of Jesus Christ in the Bible is of a mighty warrior. In fact, as we go further in the study of Revelation, we're kind of paused in a moment on Wednesday, but as we go further in our study of Revelation, we will see that he will lead us into battle to crush the enemy. And as we follow him, we won't actually lift the finger. Jesus will do it all, the mighty warrior, and defeat the enemy. Revelation 17, 14, they will make war against the Lamb our Savior. But the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His call, the chosen, faithful followers. But we won't have to do anything. He will defeat and crush the enemy for us. The enemy, of course, is Satan. And the unseen powers of evil that invaded every level of existence in the world. So yes, Christ is the mighty warrior who has defeated and conquered these powers through the weak and through the work of the cross. I mean, he is in fact the victorious king who's over actually over already come and conquered the evil powers of the world. So, because of that, we can expect Jesus to, to continue to give us victory over our struggles. As a mighty warrior, he will deliver us safely from the wars we wage and embarrassing temptations as we face them. We have a difficult time sometimes saying no. But he will deliver us from any kind of temptation, even from things like this, from laziness, from any bad habits, from confrontations of family, from road rage. He will deliver us from all that if we allow him because he is the mighty God who will rescue us and save us. He is the mighty warrior. But again, it's self-evaluation time. I was look into the second name, the mighty God, the mighty warrior, how well do you follow Jesus to be the mighty warrior, to help you in your temptations? Look at the list and see if I let Jesus fight my battles, trusting him to bring victory, I can give myself a high score. If you do not trust Jesus during a moment of temptation, you give yourself a low score. But notice that we can count on Jesus to be our mighty warrior Our mighty God. He meets that expectation as given in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the third, then, expectation or title is Everlasting Father. Everlasting points to promise the kingdom will never end. It's verse 7. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. He's the everlasting Father. Notice if you will, the, the term Father or the word choice here, Father. Is not to be confused with God the Father, but instead refers to the enduring, compassionate, fatherly care of the Messiah to his people, as in Matthew nine thirty six says, when he saw crowds as Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So it's comforting to know that as we live our life, we can expect Jesus to be our provider forever. Jesus provides the care we need and he promises to be the provider and the protector of all of our lives forever. In any situation. No matter where we are or no matter what happens to us. Even in the most tragic moments when Sheila and I were actually in college living in Bloomington, Indiana going so to Indiana University at the time. Her parents had a house fire. They lived at Mount Olympus. And they had their house fire Everything was destroyed. They didn't have anything left. But people in the businesses of the community within Gibson County, particularly Princeton, they came together to offer clothing, some temporary housing, and you know, food. I mean, they, they actually provided, because of the fire placed upon her family, they actually provided the basic essentials they needed of life. However, one essential they could not provide was Jesus, the Savior. Because only a loving, everlasting Father can provide the perfect sacrifice for every one of us, for our sins. I mean, Jesus, God in flesh, is our provider forever. Providing everything that we need, particularly providing atonement for our sins. Only He can do that. So again, the self-evaluation time. Do you trust in Jesus alone? to protect and provide for the needs of your family and for yourself. If you trust in Jesus alone, then give yourself a high score. If you're not quite sure, the lower score. Or for sometimes, maybe it's in the middle. But we can count on Jesus being our provider forever and truly the everlasting Father. And then lastly, what it tells in verse 6 on the expectation and the name is the Prince of Peace. Typically, a prince is thought to be someone, and you may even have visions of someone like Prince Harry or Prince William. And it used to be Prince Charles, but I guess now he's going to be the king. But a prince also has, according to Oxford, a definition of a male ruler of a small state subject to a king or emperor, a leader, military commander, or noble. But similarly, peace is simply this, freedom from disturbance. It is tranquility, if you will. And then biblically, the Hebrew word shalom is best known for representing peace. But it means not just peace, but also, as you see, harmony and wholeness, completeness, prosperity. And again, that word tranquility. So what that means is you put the two together, or the prince and peace, we have then who someone in Jesus who can be our life calmer who quiets and calms our soul, our inner being. With Jesus, we can become whole and complete and enter into a peaceful rest, a tranquility like none other. Because basically, Jesus completes us. You ever thought about that? Jesus completes us. He certainly reconciles us. He brought peace to a once-broken relationship we have with God, Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, our Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that peace is life's most precious, special gift. It's a complete, unimpaired relationship with God. We were once broken in that relationship with our sin. It was impossible for us to restore it. But it has been completely restored with Jesus Christ. As he cried on the cross, it is finished. We have peace because of Jesus. Now, notably, also we enter this time of the season, he also provides peace on earth. At least what the angels announced to the shepherds on the night Christ was born, it said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill towards men. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But focus on peace on earth. Jesus provides peace on earth particularly in the space that you occupy. He provides peace for where you are, in every situation, in every circumstance. Do you feel the peace with Jesus? Can you feel peace? Because when you're with really Jesus, when Jesus is actually with you, leading you, you feel that peace in the midst of any kind of chaotic time, in the midst of any kind of tragedy. No matter what may happen in life, when you truly have Jesus, you feel that peace. I share with you numerous times about my father having cancer. It was actually, he died December 5th, which is tomorrow of 2003. It's the 19th year anniversary of my father's death tomorrow. And I share with you before, as he's lying in the hospital room, he was a complete calm. My dad having stage four colon cancer was a complete peace. And as he... As I was there, I'm a complete train wreck of emotions. And I didn't understand it then, but he began to explain it to me. The reason he had calmness, the reason he had peace, is because he had Jesus. And the reason I did not is because I did not have any relationship with Jesus. But before I left the hospital, I did have that relationship with Jesus. And I began to have peace. So much so that I can look upon tomorrow. 19 years to the day and almost began to celebrate the fact that he had peace and he has peace now with the Father. He's with Jesus. When you have Jesus, you have that peace in any moment, in any tragic situation that happens in life. Because he is our life calmer, who quiets us and calms our soul and our inner being. With Jesus, we can be be completely whole again. We can enter into a peaceful rest. We actually have with Jesus, if a person does not have Jesus, they don't understand it. But with Jesus, you have tranquility like none other. Jesus comes to give us peace in the midst of things we cannot control. So again, it's time for self-evaluation. As we look now at this last name given of our sixth, the Prince of Peace, have you allowed Jesus to be the calm in your life? To restore that broken relationship with God? To give you the peace that you need while you're on earth? If you feel that peace with Jesus, then give yourself a 10. If not, maybe a lower number. But we need the peace, and Jesus can truly give us that peace as the Prince of Peace. So in Isaiah chapter 9, we have a set of expectations given upon our Lord and Savior. And we can count on Jesus to fill every expectation, every name. His name shall be, go verse 6 again, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He is the Mighty God. He is the Everlasting Father and certainly the Prince of Peace. He's, all these things, he meets every expectation placed upon him. Before he was ever born, he had all these things placed upon him. He did not fail. He delivered on each and every one of them. And it helps us to this day in every circumstance of life to have someone who's our top advisor, who's our mighty warrior to fight our battles, who is a provider forever and certainly our life calmer. We have him this most special gift given to us, they would celebrate this time of the year. We have him. Do we have him? I mean, we've asked today to do a little self-evaluation. So how did you do on each of those four? Did you score relatively high on your particular self-evaluations? I mean, perfect score would be a 40. And none of us are perfect. But we're only perfect in the sense that Jesus can make us perfect. And if we scored high, then we know we're close to Jesus where we need to be. We're helping Him, or He's helping us live every aspect of life, because Jesus truly lives up to every expectation placed upon Him. He does not fold under the pressure. And when Jesus is at our side as our Lord and Savior, we can also meet the expectations placed upon us. We have the most special. Precious gift ever given to mankind, born upon the season. It is Jesus, and only Jesus. Father, Lord, we thank you for this simple message today, Lord, as it begins to point us into what gift we need to have in life. And I pray, Lord, that all of us have received this gift, the most special gift given to mankind. Lord, I pray then that today we recognize this gift that was given to us. And how he came and how he met every expectation placed upon him. Even perhaps in our estimation, Lord, exceeded it. Because in our our lives, we cannot fathom the fact of giving up our life for someone. Particularly our enemy. But Jesus gave up his life for all of mankind. To give us an atonement for our sin. Reconciliation to our Father. That's a special gift, Lord we get to celebrate it upon this season. So we thank you for this gift. And we thank you for how you met every expectation placed upon him. Provide us then a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. Thank you, Father, for that gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.